Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. And this month, we've been in a uh, series, uh, well, it's really been more of a month and a half leading up into our town hall, uh, which was, uh, this is our family series. Um, and it went a little bit longer than just a month where most of our series go for a month. Um, but we really believed that God was establishing with great clarity what our church family looked like um, and love to draw from the word and love to draw from the places of how Jesus operated in community, how he set the standard for it. These are our inspirations. These are our you know, boundaries, if you may say. This is our structure, if you may say. Uh, so when you see love Jesus, love people, um, the beauty of it all is that it's not just a sentiment, but it actually has action to it. Uh, and that when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, that love looks like something. And it doesn't just have a lot of ambiguity to it. Um, there is a real picture of love, uh, and God is love. And we're so excited to see that become clearer and clearer in this community. Uh, and I really love you guys. And I wanted to, uh, Tim spoke last week. I heard he did awesome. Uh, and I always love it when Tim speaks. I was in Duck Creek with my family, spending some time, so that was awesome. I uh, got to spend a lot of time in the snow and have a good time, so I was really happy about that. Um, and the first week I spoke on uh, peace, or really about fathering, and I want to continue to speak on um, fathering and mothering, spiritual fathers and mothers, uh, as it relates to this community, or as it relates to what God has outlined in Scripture. Um, and if you remember, just as a reference, and I preached on this several weeks ago, Ephesians 4, 6 says, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the very short notes on this as a reference before we head into what we're going to talk about today is that the, the Father's heart or Father uh, is an act and is or a role that happens to us. Heavenly Father fathers us individually. Um, but also this Scripture reveals that Father also fathers others through us. Father in all and through all. And we've got to remember that because today we're going to be talking about adoption. Um, and uh, we've all been spiritually adopted by God, which is really exciting. Um, and we have this really interesting community expression or opportunity where, where we get to understand what it means to adopt others. So this idea, how many of you have heard of the concept of being a spiritual father or mother? How many of you have heard of this concept? How many of you feel like you've become a spiritual father or mother to somebody at some point? Okay, cool. And so some others may not have felt that way or, or kind of gotten to that place, uh, which is okay. Uh, the idea here today isn't to try and get all of you to occupy the office of a spiritual father or mother in somebody's life but to understand that we can all engage in the Father's heart for others, even if it means that we don't achieve the title of spiritual mother or father. Does that make sense? Uh, so this is really about us understanding how God acts towards us and towards others and allowing it to shape our approach, allowing it to shape our mindset. Uh, so you can adopt somebody and you can say, you know what, I am going to have Father's heart for them uh, the same way Father has a heart for them, I'm going to have the same heart for them. And still not achieve a, a, a spiritual fathering or mother title, that's okay. So our goal today is to identify an approach and a mindset, not an office or a title in somebody's life. 
You guys with me? Those things are much less important than how your behavior is every single day. So I was a youth pastor, and I spiritually fathered and mothered a lot of people that would never have said I was their spiritual father and mother. And then some would have. But all the same, I had the same heart towards all of them. Uh, and so you got to see or they got to experience Father's hearts towards them in some way. So we're going to really look into Scripture today to understand what it means for us to be adopted by God, but also for us to adopt the same way Father adopts. Is there anybody that has adopted children uh, here, like literally adopted? Anybody adoption? Sweet, awesome. I love it so much. I, I would like to foster adopt someday. Sounds really, really great. Right now, I feel like I couldn't do a single other thing in my life. <laughs> um, so I want to jump into the scripture today, Romans 8, 14 through 16. Now that we've set the framework of this thing, we're talking about adoption today. Uh, Romans 8, 14 through 16. We're going to reference some different points of the chapter, but we're going to start here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is a very exciting scripture to me. It's foundational in our identity as sons and daughters of God, which is all of you in this place. But the cool thing about God calling us sons and daughters is we got to understand that this has implications on our approach to ourselves and to others. And that we may call ourselves a Christian, but this scripture is really interesting because it's actually speaking to two different ways that you can approach Christianity or the church. And you can approach it in one way which is bound by the law, or you can approach it in another way which is very spirit-led, and that is identity as sons or daughters. Uh, these two things are very possible. Even in this place right now, we could have folks operating in a law-based Christian effort, which is what are the rules, what are the precepts, and let me strive to achieve them. Uh, and sometimes those people are oftentimes performance-built uh, creatures. Uh, they, uh, they identify what the goals and standards are, and they really, really work hard to get at them. Uh, and so this is actually confronting a dynamic of Christianity, which is much more rule-based, which is much more structure-based. We've really, really got to understand that, that this is an invitation to the purity, to the new covenant model of Christian identity, which is sons and daughters. And you might wonder, like, how, okay, so sons and daughters, but then we're spiritual fathers and mothers. How does this all relate and connect it's really quite simple. We are all Heavenly Fathers, sons, and daughters. So that's all of us. So whether or not we actually begin to walk in a fathering or a mothering in community is very much about whether or not we've begun to take on the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. And that begins as sons and daughters. You might say that good fathers and mothers were first good sons or daughters. You guys tracking with me? Okay, cool. So... We see this foundation between us and God as sons and daughters sets up the expression of leadership in community as fathers and mothers. It really simply put, we start treating people the way Heavenly Father treated us. And it changes everything. It changes even our history. Some of us have a history that we're going to have to allow Heavenly Father to undo when it comes to how we've been fathered or mothered. 
So you might father or mother the way your mother or father fathered or mothered. I did it. (laughs) But you've got to allow God to visit those places and repair them. Because some of them are broken. As I I think I said two weeks ago, I said, look, as good a father as I may think I am, my kids are going to have to encounter Heavenly Father in places where I either did damage or was lacking. Just no matter how good any of us are as fathers or mothers or fathers and mothers, we're all just going to have to meet with Jesus at the places where there was an insufficiency, where there was a lack, where there wasn't the fullness of God's heart in that place. And that's okay, right? That's okay. God supplies. Uh, God meets us in those places. God is amazing and gracious. So you can understand and begin to see that this dynamic and this paradigm is put in place, that there is a way to approach it that is very much slavery fear-based, and there's a way to approach it that is very much adoption. And then if you're looking for the paradigm shift from fear to what, you'll see that the, that the paradigm shift goes from, okay, so spirit of slavery, which falls back into fear, or the spirit of adoption, which cries out, Abba, Father. So the paradigm shift is you go from a place of fear to a place of cry out, Abba, Father. What is that? That's a relational place of intimacy. That's a relational place of, I have a longing and a desire. I have a cry out, Abba, Father. I have a connection with God that is very much Father-based. As Father's desire is inside of me, a desire for my Heavenly Father is inside of me. So at the very primal place of our our, our Spirit-led Christian walk is actually a spiritual desire for our Heavenly Father. It's an important thing to understand and recognize because when you... When you and I begin to reflect on what it means to be spirit-led, because to be spirit-led is to be sons of God, that's really cool. But then you begin to think about it, and you're like, okay, what does that really mean to be spirit-led? As you begin to reflect on this thing, does it mean that I wake up every morning and I have the Holy Spirit goosebumps? Or does it mean that I throw on an awesome Bethel music video playlist that goes on for six and a half hours? In my living room, so while I'm cleaning the house, I always have it on. And there's always this underlying tone of his presence, right? Like, what is what what does this actually mean, right? To be spirit-led, does it mean that I'm speaking in tongues all day or that I'm praying all day or that I've not prayed for myself and I'm only praying for others? Or does it mean that I'm uh, giving to a missions work somewhere when God prompts me? Like, we have this question and we should. It's a good question to ask. Okay, when I wake up every single day, what does it mean to be spirit-led? What does it mean for for God to lead me by His Spirit? Well, it can be all of those things I said and none of those things at one particular moment. It could mean that we're receiving something amazing from God. It could also mean that we're walking in what we have seen God show us faithfully even when we don't feel good at all. So it's very specific to our life. It's very unique to our life in the sense of it's accurate to you every single day. If, you're, if somebody in your life just died and you're in a grieving process, well, to be spirit-led is going to be, look like something different than somebody who just received three promotions, graduated from college, had six different kids, uh, born at the same time, and all these amazing life moments, Right? It's going to be different. That God's going to be leading that person different than that person. It'll always be biblical. It'll always be biblical. It won't be based on sentiment or emotion. It'll always be eternal-based wisdom. 
but it is going to show up different for different people at different times in their life. So to be spirit-led means that we are accurately following or walking with God every single day. So when it says you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, and then the lifestyle of this thing means you're being spirit-led, and, and, then, and, it, and it says it in contrast to a slavery culture that is rooted in fear, then you can understand it and begin to really realize the differences between the two. That when we have a slave mindset in Christianity, it really is a mindset that comes from rigidity and bound places. See, slave mindset Christianity is actually prohibitive driven. It's fear driven. It's consequence driven. And, and it literally says spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The Bible says God is love and his perfect love casts out all fear. God's design of Christianity does not utilize fear for its gain. It actually drives it out and says, I don't need that in order for us to create righteous people. But many of us continue to operate or continue to invite others to operate in a fear mindset in order for them to behave well. Has anybody ever experienced uh, fear as a motivator to do right? I remember when I was a youth pastor, we used to, well, not me, but a lot of people would use fear as a motivator to try and get kids not to have sex before marriage. Do you guys ever have this in your youth group? Don't have sex before marriage because you're going to have a kid and it'll ruin your life. Well, that kind of is a little bit of a tough thing to say to somebody because, you know, once they did get pregnant before marriage, uh, then we told them the whole time that if they got pregnant before marriage, it would ruin their life. So you don't realize it, but you just gave them a life sentence of awfulness and misery because you were trying to scare them not to do a sin thing. So you can really begin to understand, we, can, we have these tendencies to say, look, like if you're in leadership and you mess up, then you're going to have to step down. We're going to strip you of all your power, of all your mantles, of all your glory. We're going to strip you of everything. Look, you're in a school of ministry. If you have sex while you're in the school of ministry outside of marriage, we're, we're going to kick you out. So, so if we're not careful as a church culture, as leaders, we'll, we'll, we can tend to use fear-driven models, punishment models to try and create righteousness. Take a little bit, a little bit of a deeper look into how we've led, and, and the question is: Are we spiritually fathering and mothering? If we're asking ourselves this question, we've got to really look at our approach. And do we utilize fear to try and motivate righteousness? If this, then that kind of equations. If you do right, then you'll get good things. But if you do bad, then you get bad things. This is a this is a motivation rooted in fear. This is a motivation rooted in reward. At the very least, it's going to cultivate greed in a community that wants to do good things so they can get really, really rich. We've done something very similar with our giving methodology that we've communicated at different points of tithe and offering. It's like, look, give $10 and you get $100 back. It's really cool. Now give $100 and you get, guess what, $1,000 or $10,000 back. So how many of you guys want to write a check right now for $10,000? And all of a sudden, what we've done is we've, we've kind of done like a bidding process. Ooh, five, 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 who's seven, 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 who, hey, ten, 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 ten. It's like an auctioneer, and you all of a sudden just start calling out numbers, and people are like, I think I'm supposed to write a check for this amount of money. 
And what we've done is we've created this incentive-based model to give, this incentive-based model to behave, this incentive-based model not to do certain other things because it starts to detract from what you're doing. And all the while, it's an old covenant model that says if you do these behavior obedience things, you'll be blessed. And if you do these bad things over here, you'll be cursed. And again, we look back to the scripture here and it begins to say, look, this is actually a very, very challenging culture to continue to express in a community. This is challenging because it's a slavery culture that binds people to a form and a rigidity. It's a slavery culture that allows us to take the law and enslave people according to the law. And sometimes we say things like, oh, this is the standard in the community. Or, you know, we've got to have some excellence in this place, right? And we start saying different words. We kind of start replacing law words with other words that are more modern, acceptable. Uh, like, let's get some excellence in worship, huh? Let's get some... Uh, Let's get some better singers. Let's get some better chord structure and musicians. So we really need a, uh, what do we want to call this so we don't call it performance? Um, spirit of excellence. Let's call it that. And I, it's just really tough for me because all of a sudden when we begin to look at what we're producing in church cultures, we want to say it's not performance-based. We want to say it's not about image. And yet we start justifying image-based behavior. Let's dump some more money into a lobby or into a, uh, a stage design or into some lights. Or maybe the pastor should start wearing something a little bit like nicer. You know what I mean? Let's get some nice clothes on him. Let's have him start dressing a certain way. Because, you know, if you want to attract the higher givers, you got to really start like, they got to feel like they're at home, you know? So maybe some Gucci slides or something like that. <laughs> Let me preach in those or some Yeezys. I don't know what new money looks like. But maybe we should start doing these things. Maybe that'll look good. Maybe that'll feel good. Maybe that'll actually do something. But all the while, guys, we are beginning to subscribe to a form. We're beginning to, to, to subscribe to a structure of how it ought to look. Okay, wait, let's post the Ten Commandments and let's try and follow with rigidity the Ten Commandments and let's, what, are, what other laws are there? And there's like thousands in the, Old, in the Old Testament. But then we start making up our own as well. Which is like, hey, probably at church on Sunday we should dress up. I'm not really sure why, guys. Does anyone know why we dress up and we wear our Sunday best? Yeah, something along those lines, right? But we have these different things that we're always doing, and we're like, maybe the microphone should be nicer. We start asking questions like, well, these people have these infractions, and they're volunteering in these ways. Maybe, maybe we should do something about that. We don't want our greeters, like, sleeping around during the week. We don't want our worshipers, like, cussing during the week. And all of a sudden, like, and I'm not saying that God doesn't cultivate holiness. So I'm not saying this at all. But what I am saying is if, is if we drive community according to infractions of the law, then we are utilizing a fear motivation to crack the whip on these things in order to cultivate repentance or righteousness. 
And whenever you utilize the law and condemnation through the law to try and motivate behavior, we create slaves and fear in a community. So we've got to understand the alternative, which would be instead of using slavery and fear in a community, we've got to use this adoption, the spirit of adoption, and we've got to allow it to cultivate a hunger and thirst in people for righteousness. And we've got to allow it to cultivate a cry inside of people that says, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And all of a sudden, you're not having to crack the whip of fear or slavery on people anymore. All you're doing is cultivating and inviting them and stirring up the things inside of them that are already there in hunger and thirst. So instead of rigidity and shackles to try and get people to be righteous, it's actually a desire for God that's cultivated and nurtured. It's a flame within that I'm just breathing on flames that exist. And you're seeing the thing expand and you're seeing the thing cultivated And when you're talking about starting fires or the fire of God in people's life, you're talking about actually partnering with something that's there or knowing how to start something with very meticulous authorship. You ever taught a kid how to start a fire? Oh, man, I've been teaching Brixton how to do fires. It's really, really fun. I love fire. The the idea here is, is, is what does it look like for us to cultivate an adoption mindset culture? What does it look like for us to have a church that is rooted in the spirit of adoption that has been adopted and that adopts? And so when you see this, you actually see that it's cultivating a longing in people for God. Uh, Paul said this, I believe, really well uh, when he talks about in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Through the gospel. The gospel being the story of Jesus, the narrative of Jesus. If we're beginning to to father people and to mother people, say they're starting at ground zero and they've got nothing, then your first effort isn't to teach them how to act right. It's actually to introduce them to Jesus. So many times, like, people start walking in the building, and we're like, we got to start teaching them how to act right, dress right, talk right. And they don't even, they haven't even fallen in love with Jesus yet. See, this is law-based motivation. If you want to be a part of this friend community group, you got to act right. No, that's not how we operate. Actually, how we operate is love first, which is, hey, we love you. And we're going to love you or at least attempt to love you the same way Jesus did. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So at the very least, you can walk in this door, and if you're a full-fledged sinner, at the very least, I cannot reject you. At the very least, I mean, Christ died for us while we were still sinners, so maybe I'm not going to quite die for you yet, but at the very least, maybe I can invest in your life and support you. See, the beautiful thing about adoption is it's making somebody a child of yours, a part of your family, before they carry the family characteristics. Isn't this cool? Hey, you are family now. From day one, within an instant, the next day, you are a part of our family. You don't look like us, act like us, talk like us. You don't have the same past, present, or probably even future. 
but we just made you family by the powerful act of adoption. By the powerful act of adoption, which is the same thing Jesus did, right? He'd walk around before when he was collecting his disciples. He's like, hey, you, follow me. Hey, you, follow me. None of these people looked like Jesus, acted like Jesus. I mean, up until what? The end when Jesus is being murdered, people are still denying him, betraying him, cutting off people's ears, committing basically atrocities. I mean, abandoning Jesus. This is like, a, this is like the hilarious act of the 12 stooges, not the act of like Jesus attracted 12 people that were already like him. And he's like, hey, look at all these people that were already like me. So when we're, when we're adopting people in this place, like we should get excited when somebody walks in this place and they're not like us. We should get excited when somebody walks in this place and they're a little bit wonky. Their character is a little bit sideways. And we should be like, yeah, let's adopt them. Yeah, you're part of the family. And yeah, you're kind of kooky sometimes and you dress funny and you look weird. I don't know. You say things that I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, I bring people to small groups sometimes, and I'm like, hey, look, I did not sign off on their language. But a lot of times, and this is the weird thing about it, is as a pastor, a lot of times people think that the people I have around me have been, like, vetted. And are like, pastor approved. Man, no, it's almost quite the opposite with me. If you see them really, really close to me all the time, like there's good chances that we're not talking about like a Tim Roland, you know what I mean? Like a spiritual father in community that is cultivating all these things. There's a good chance it's somebody I adopted. And I just love pouring my life into them. I told the young adult group, I was like, look, to me, the people I love to adopt and spiritually father and mother are the ones that have these huge giant walls up. And they don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want anybody in their life. And the only people getting in are the people that are really committed to digging really deep under the wall or climbing up really, really high. I happen to like to climb. And these are the people that I love to say, yeah, your family. And they're like, are you sure? (laughs) My character is of ill repute. (laughs) I'm not a good person right now. And I'm like, yeah, but I love you but I love you, but I love you. And if Jesus died while we were still sinners, which means he gave his life for us, can I give my life for a sinner? So what does my life currently look like right now? Well, there's some money. It's not a lot, but there's some. So maybe what it means to adopt to somebody is to start giving them pieces of your life. Give them something. Support them in some way. Show up to something. Invest in them in all kinds of ways that you can think of. And if you've got very little resource to your life in terms of time, energy, and money, that's okay. Invest whatever you've got in their life. This is the act of spiritually fathering and mothering somebody. Do you only have one dollar to your name? Bless them with it. Do you only have one shirt to your name that they like? Bless them with it. Do you only have one watch to your name that they like and they say, oh, it's cool, then bless them with it. If it's showing up to their game or showing up to their work or showing up to something, show up. If it's telling them you're praying for them, if it's sitting by them on Sunday, if it's, if it's realizing they're not here and texting them, or if it's realizing that they haven't been here for months and calling up and saying, hey, you want to grab some coffee? If somebody's not going to church, you know they need to go to church. You're the church. Bring the church to them. 
And, and, and like, I, I want to make a recommendation, right? And it's, and it's don't make the lunch or the coffee about them going back to church. Because they're going to be like, oh, you have an agenda. Oh, it's cool. As long as they don't want to go to church, you just keep bringing it to them. 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 Father in and Father through. You don't require these four walls for somebody to encounter the Father's heart. You don't require, or it doesn't. Re- it's not required of you to have the coordination of music, announcements, welcome culture is what we call it, and then a sermon, and then some kind of altar call or communion. You don't require that structure in order for somebody to encounter Father. So adopt them. I, it's going to perhaps look different for you than it does for me to adopt somebody, but bring your gifts. What are they? I've loved what Mark's been doing in our, our men's community and culture. He's been like, let's do men's things and stuff like that. So we had our, our first men's barbecue on Friday. It's been a long week. On Friday, and it was awesome. He made uh, ribs, and then Douglas made uh, shoulders, Shoulder, pork shoulders. I almost said pork butt. <laughs> Is that a thing? Same thing? Pork butt and shoulders the same? No? Because one's a shoulder and one's a butt, right? But, like, these are, these are Mark's gifts, right? The, the gift of hospitality. And he's bringing it with this beauty, right? Steve's gift is a gift of teaching. He brings this awesome. Uh, did you see that when he was praying? He, I, was, I was being taught. Did you guys notice this? It was awesome. He was, like, he was saying things to God, having conversation, and he was telling us why he was saying them. It's the gift of the teacher flowing out of his prayer and his communication to God. It's awesome. Like, bring whatever your design is from God for people. It doesn't have to be fathering like I father. It could be like super low-key. And I'm really like not low-key, but you can be super low-key. And it's okay. Like that's some of the most beautiful stuff, right? Find somebody you can begin to have the Father's heart for and actually let it show up in action. Is it someone broken? Awesome. Is it someone that's super burnt out? Awesome. Do it. Is it someone that's like really into it and they just need a little bit of encouragement and you're giving them courage? Is it somebody that needs to be re-engaged in this or that? Or is it somebody that needs to be reached out to? Is it somebody that needs to hear the gospel for the first time ever? That Jesus loves them and died for them? Then yeah, do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And when it says, who are the sons of God? Those who are spirit-led. Look, when you're fathering, you're being fathered, and it's fathering through you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, will for sure help you have an insight to how it goes. And don't discount yourself. We've got to stop discounting ourselves. We've got to stop stripping away merit and worth from ourselves out of some kind of false humility thing. No, who cares how little or bad you've done in your past? Allow God to lead you in that moment. Your history never stops you from being led by God. Your history has never had that power. Your sin of your past has never had that power. So we stop. we got to stop giving our history so much power. It should not shape our present, and it should not shape our future. If I were to convince you of anything today, it's for you to begin to engage in Father's heart for yourself and others and really see what it looks like. When I was writing down notes on what it looked like to adopt or to begin to father or mother somebody, support. The word support just came real big in caps lock. Uh, Support them financially. Support them emotionally. Support them mentally. Support them uh, socially. Invite them. Man, if they're 
this is the, uh, Jess is, uh, we've done, all right, this is what I want to say. <clears throat> invite the people that no one else will invite to a thing. I know it's really tempting to be the cool kid because, like, we all wanted to be the cool kid in high school or junior high. But, no, like, collect, like, David, when he, when he was cast out by, by Saul, he went to, he, he rose up mighty men, but the people that he gathered in the mountains, they weren't originally mighty men. They were like the outcasts of the outskirts of the out, out, outskirts, and then they got cast out of the outskirts. Like, same thing with Jesus. He didn't go and, and, and gather the religious elites that were the most popular in all of the temples. He didn't go gather all these influencers that were currently in church culture at the time. He went outside of those uh, industries, outside of those entities, and he collected a bunch of bozos from a bunch of different industries and a bunch of different character flaws of the highest order that were seen by all. They were seen by all tax collectors and fishermen, cussers and violent men. Like these weren't good religious folk. They weren't performing the law well, let's put it that way. So when we see what Jesus did, when we see what happened through David, when we see what happened through different people in Scripture, we've got to let it inform us of how to behave. Look for the orphans. Adopt them. Look for the ones that have no families. Give them a family. Look for the ones that aren't like Jesus yet and begin to say, I love you even though you're nothing like Jesus. And this is going to force us and it's going to challenge us to wrestle with these unsafe people. Look, like when we adopt people, it's going to have hiccups and speed bumps of a lack of safety. Because when somebody's not like Jesus, it, there's, there's strings of unsafety in it. There's strings of potential damage in it. There's, there's risk. There's risk in adopting people, for sure. How many of you guys can recognize this? Risk in adopting people. It's worth the price. It's worth the price. It's worth the price. Structure and rules will never be able to create holiness. They'll never be able to create holiness. Structure and rules also cannot create safety. When we're talking about adoption, we're talking about unsubscribing to structure and rules as our power and beginning to subscribe to the power of Heavenly Father in our life and in others' life. The simple question is, can you trust God? Can you trust God with your motivation? That if you give up and you forfeit and you get delivered from the motivation of fear to be like God or to obey Him, what's left? Is love motivating enough? Is love motivating enough? I've chosen to believe that it is in my life. So when it says God is love and his perfect love casts out all fear, we must allow God to deliver us from all of our fear. All of it. And trust that's, that what is left after he gets rid of all that is sufficient for us to walk in godliness and righteousness. There's a scripture I want to read before the end of this. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And if you skip to verse 4, it says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I like to leave or try and communicate a visual when I'm preaching. It helps with paradigms. Psychologically, your brain actually thinks in pictures. Did you know this? It's why I, when the picture is like a thousand words, ten thousand words, a thousand. There it is. Ten thousand praises, a thousand words. Matt Redman. Okay. When it says that pictures like a thousand words, it's, you know, have you ever had this thing in your mind you could see it but you couldn't describe it? It's you're thinking in pictures. Psychologically, your brain works in pictures. So when when I want to leave you with as a picture is that. If you're walking away from this model of Christianity and of leadership in Christianity, it's the model of rigidity and structure. It's the model of shackles. It's symbols of slavery. It's chains. It's shackles. It's being stuck in a specific place. And you're walking away from shackles, and you're beginning to walk with God. Shackles to a walk. Have you ever walked with shackles? They're burning some. They're not good for a walk. You're going on a walk with Jesus. So let go of all of those heavy shackles. Let go of all that rigid structure and trust that the walk will produce in you the righteousness of God. And trust that when you invite people to walk with you as you're walking with Christ, as Paul said to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ, trust that that is sufficient and you don't need to use shackles and chains to try and control them or fix their bad behavior. You guys with me? Trust that a walk with God will make you holy, will make you righteous. So let's go on a walk together as community. Let's learn together as we go on this walk. Let's submit unto one another as we go on this walk. Let's ask and let's cry out to God together in worship and in other times of prayer. And let's have this Abba Father continually in our community so that as we begin to engage in Father's heart for others, we actually have the standard, which is Heavenly Father, well in place in our hearts and our minds. If I miss it, it's Father is the standard, not me. If you miss it for somebody else, Father is the standard, not you. So we could trust that standard. We could trust that person. We could trust that Father. We can trust that leader in this community. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.